Hello and welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast, where we try to take a look under the bonnet of the market with a leading asset allocator. I'm David Thorpe, contributing editor at Asset Allocator. Joining me today is Stuart Clark, portfolio manager at Quilter. Thank you for joining me today, Stuart. I suppose really we should start with the recent launch of Quilter's range of bespoke ESG strategies. How do you feel that this is differentiated from others in the market? And also, how have you seen and how do you see the space evolving? I think that's the point, David. Uh, it's a rapidly evolving space. So we've spent a great deal of time working on what we're trying to achieve with the portfolios, making sure the objectives are clear. Uh, but also buying in the uh, data and the services to ensure that we can accurately analyse and assess the portfolios we're putting together. It's somewhat differentiated by the fact it's a multi-manager, multi-asset ESG strategy, uh, risk-targeted. So not only are we going across eight different risk levels in fully active, blended, a passive solution in responsible, uh, and then a sustainable product range as well, but we're trying to incorporate uh, assets from lots of different market-leading uh, fund managers. And of course, all of them subscribe to slightly different services as well. So whether it's Sustainalytics sure. or MSCI, and we've seen a lot of coverage recently about how different uh, ESG providers can come to different conclusions around the mm -hmm. same potential name, we have to try and pick through that and put an appropriate portfolio together for the clients. And that's really where we are trying to add a lot of value by, by subscribing ourselves to the data providers and doing a lot of work to understand the drivers, not just of the investment returns and the risk within the portfolio, but how the various different ESG uh, strategies that we're buying are interacting with each other and building up into that one overarching portfolio. Thank you. And I suppose that leads on to the next question, really, which is, I know it's one of the ones that advisors are really focused on, which is around diversification. There, you know, there's a well-known well risk that one could be overexposed to the growth factor, for example, but also from a, an end-to-end -end client's point of view, they want to know really what's in their um, portfolio and does it align to the things that, that they are thinking about now, but also perhaps the things that will become more prominent in, in future. Yeah, and you've again, you've hit the nail on the head there. Diversification is key. I think we've seen some of the moves in the government bond space um, this year. And, and government bonds in their own right are difficult from an ESG perspective, assessing uh, what you should do uh, with respect to different countries' uh, government debt. Uh, we we have within our portfolios the, the original Wealth Select mandates, but also the new launch. We have tried to ensure diversification across alternatives and traditional fixed income alongside cash positions where we saw uh, equity valuations potentially a little bit stretched uh, coming through the back end of last year. Now, alternatives, uh, again, that is a difficult space uh, for ESG investing because you have to be able to assess, if you're a long-short equity manager, you have to be able to assess the impact of some of the decisions you're making about shorting a stock. And what does that mean to the overall ESG profile of the fund? How do you go on to report on that to the end client? And I think, again, another thing which you've picked up on there is the reporting is key, trying to clearly uh, articulate to the clients what we're trying to achieve, how we're achieving that. And for us, one of the things we have uh, really uh, tried to focus on, again, within the portfolios is engagement. It's not 
hard exclusions across lots of different sub-assets. It's about trying to identify ESG leaders for the responsible portfolios and engaging with those managers to engage with the companies to try and push an overall improvement in the rating. Thank you. And I, I, I've seen in the, in the market that, you know, a number of funds have, have launched that are very thematic and very, you know, focused on one particular theme within sustainability, whether that be water, for example. Is that an area of interest to you in these multi-manager portfolios? We have a, a nice mix of both uh, single thematic, multi-thematic funds uh, and regional equity funds. Again, uh, understanding, assessing the risks in each portfolio. Uh, one of the things we've tried to uh, ensure within the portfolio, back to your previous question, is that they're not overly focused on growth and that there is some valuation-driven investing style in there as well. Uh, but also that we're not overexposed to one single thematic. So for sustainable uh, range, for example, it would be, I'm not going to say easy, but easier to put a portfolio together of environmentally targeted uh, funds at the moment. I think that it is a more numeric uh, process of assessment. Uh, the impact you have on carbon footprint, uh, it's, like I say, it's not easy, but it is easier to assess than the social impact of a fund, maybe targeting improved access to education or improved healthcare access in the emerging world. That is a harder, uh, harder thematic to, uh, to, to report on and, and to assess for a client. And so we're trying to ensure that there's a broad exposure to those thematics and tilt the portfolio to those thematics, which we think, again, are not necessarily uh, overvalued at this point in time, uh, but could be benefiting from a tailwind. Um, and we have a, a few examples, whether that in the environmental space, clean energy and timber uh, combination, uh, which is more of a circular economy fund, but also looking at uh, an oncology, a fund which targeting oncology investing to help build out solutions to to that issue uh, around the world. Thank you. And Stuart, in a, in a rare move for me, I, I did some preparation before I came in today. And one of the things that I noticed was that in some of your recent updates, uh, you've been dialing down your equity exposure a little in the general portfolios and adding uh, in uh, some bonds and, and particular alternatives. What What's the thinking um, around that? Yeah, I mean, coming to the end of uh, 2021, we'd seen a significant rally, obviously, in uh, risk markets. And uh, I'd like to say uh, we were right for the right reasons, but we were right for the wrong reasons, really. Okay. We wanted to take some risk off the table. We felt valuations looked quite stretched in certain parts of the market and that there was a benefit to diversifying first into alternatives. And I think actually what we're doing is, is waiting on the wings to try and pick up some traditional fixed income. And as the sell-off uh, at the beginning of this year, and we've seen some comments from the Fed over the weekend as well about the potential for further rate rises and quantitative tightening come through, that an opportunity might present itself later in the summer to, to pick up some traditional fixed income. Now, that has obviously worked for us. And coming into our latest round of repositioning for the portfolios, there was a strong discussion about whether it's time to pick up risk or not. And we've decided to sit tight at the moment with a well-diversified portfolio uh, because we think there are still some potential risks out there which aren't being priced in today. And I suppose that leads to, to the next area, really, which brings a few of those uh, points together. How is inflation shaping your, your thinking right now? Because 
you know, <laughs> if the consensus is right about inflation, then everybody would run for the hills from, from fixed income, but also many parts of the equity market, as we are seeing and have seen for months, don't do particularly well in, in that climate. And, you know, the risk, there are a different type of types of risk in a, in a world of, of um, rising inflation. And how, how does that, that shape those allocation decisions? Yeah, I think inflation is still uh, rightly a very hot topic. And and all last year, people were saying we expect this to be transitory and, and roll over in the second half. Uh, we... We felt that inflation would indeed, there was a transitory element, but that it would continue to remain elevated for longer and settle at a higher level. Now, obviously, with the um, the awful things that we're witnessing in, in the Ukraine, uh, there are further factors which have pushed inflation up higher and potentially staying higher for longer still. And I think something which is not uh, being widely discussed, uh, but is uh, certainly an impact for clients and consumers around the world is even if inflation does start to roll over and it gets down to, you know, long run inflation expectations might be between two and a half and three percent, which was within that average inflation targeting range. Uh, but it's coming off a year where it's eight percent. And so with with that level of inflation and then higher than 2% inflation, actually the compounding effect on consumer prices and consumer sentiment is going to be felt. We need a sustained period of below target inflation just to try and start bringing things back down to trend. And that's going to take many, many years. And so for me, again, that is part of the issue uh, of um, trying to balance where we have risks in the portfolio versus the opportunities and why I say we're not quite there yet to pick up traditional government bond exposure, but that opportunity will come because the Fed is going to continue raising, other central banks will have to raise in the face of higher inflation, and then at some point the market will get ahead of that and they might not be able to deliver on the levels which are expected, and that will give you the opportunity to go and pick up those assets. Thank you. I suppose that that leads naturally to um, to your thoughts on on the risk of a policy error that uh, that rates could be tightened too quickly or go too high for the prevailing climate. We have certainly seen from our own work um, on asset allocator that there seems to have been a little bit of a shift in in sentiment and indeed action uh, from investors around the world over the past month or so, maybe away from some of the value type names and into more defensive equities, uh, which obviously points to a, a slightly different scenario. Is that is the risk of policy error significant in your in your mind? I think, uh, again, at the end of last year, the risk of policy error was quite elevated. And <laughs> with the situation which um, central bankers uh, have found themselves in this year, it has to be even more elevated today. Uh, there is, uh, I, I think, um, uh, an extremely thin tightrope which uh, central bankers are walking to try and control the inflation without completely uh, ruining the environment, uh, the economic environment that we're operating in. Uh, I don't really envy any <laughs> central bankers at the moment trying to uh, get that balance right. Now, again, we have to think about how the market is interpreting that. And my view here would be that the market seemed to have been thinking that they were going to achieve successfully a soft landing and managed to mm -hmm. control everything. History would say that's actually quite a hard task, mm -hmm. um, and particularly with uh, a lot of uh, new factors which have been introduced in this cycle as well. Um, so, no, I think the risk of policy error was high and is potentially higher still uh, today. Thank you. And in that context, um, 
what does a defensive exposure look like um, if, if that was what you and your colleagues at Quilter wanted to do and you, you came in and you said um, you know maybe we should dial down risk what does that even look like in a world where inflation is where it is but growth is where it is where government bonds are not as you mentioned earlier yet at the, at the attractive buying level yeah, I think uh, certainly when we think about portfolios, it uh, is it is those diversifying assets where you're having uh, comfort in the way that they're being managed. They're trying to eke out returns for investors in any market direction, um, whether it's relative value bond trading, long short equity uh, investors, um, those sort of things can really help uh, diversify and defend within the portfolio. I think our industry uh, has a bit of a... Uh, a willingness to push clients to invest. There's a lot of coverage around how cash in a high inflation mm-hmm. environment is is a negative to clients. But actually, uh, look at gilts. If you'd been investing in gilts at the beginning of the year, well, that hasn't worked out too well for you mm-hmm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and they are an important diversifier to risk assets, but you don't want too many of them in the portfolio. And so I, I believe cash is a, a relevant and valid asset class um, to sit in whilst you're waiting for better uh, valuation opportunities to present themselves. And then within the equity market, you're right, it's looking at those um, those names which can uh, protect capital in a tougher market environment and, and, and thinking about the thematics as well. So maybe if we are in a more stagflationary environment for a while, mm-hmm. the commodities, the gold exposure, gold equities can help protect in, in that environment. But again, you don't want too much in that space because they're quite volatile. Sure. So you need to balance it out. The the other um, higher growth names. It's it's interesting because there's a lot of them which have come off a significant way. Obviously, in recent times, uh, the the ones which weren't making uh, money, the positive earnings, the loss making companies have come down an awful lot. But again, this is an area where I think there will be some names which have been thrown out uh, and give opportunities to to fund managers to pick up. But as a general rule, um, at the moment, don't think it's time to go in and aggressively buy growth at this point in time either. So we're just trying to keep that well-diversified basket and think about those thematic opportunities, which was maybe where the traditional portfolios and the ESG portfolios can collide. Um, If governments are focusing in on decarbonising, on social change, on Mm -hmm. better access to education and healthcare, well, again, let's look at those healthcare funds. That's certainly a theme which we look to get into the portfolios. Let's look at those funds which can uh, benefit from a shift to green energy or uh, natural carbon sinks. And that is where we'll try to spend the risk budget. Thank you for that, uh, Stuart Clark, Portfolio Manager at Quilter and thank you all for joining me today and listening. Do remember to tune in to the next episode of the Asset Allocator podcast which comes out in about two weeks. Thank you.